0: Good morning, everyone. The Bible reading today is from John chapter one. We had the overture to John's Gospel last week in verses one to eighteen, and now we carry on from verse 19 to the end. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to go back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight. The way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptising. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptising with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptise with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is The one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said And who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Kephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee finding Philip he said to him follow me. Philip like Andrew and Peter was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathaniel and told him we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. Nazareth can anything good come from there Nathaniel asked. "'Come and see,' said Philip. "'When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, "'Here is a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit.' "'How do you know me?' Nathanael asked. "'Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree "'before Philip called you.' "'Then Nathanael declared, "'Rabbi, you are the Son of God.' You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Then he added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man.
1: Carol's uh, very well read so uh, thank you very much feel free to open a Bible or open the Bible app on your phone if you need to good to look at this together and if you haven't already make sure you do grab one of those studies or um, uh, on the way out for your church who is Jesus and uh, that's really the big question, isn't it, that John's answering. Who is he? Why has he come? How, how do we respond to Jesus that actually helps us to find life? There's a sermon outline uh, in, if anyone want to take notes or if you'd like to know where we're going. And I've answered that question for this passage this morning, who is Jesus, that he is our safe passage servant king. So we're going to unpack that. But before we do, how about we ask for God's help? Merciful Heavenly Father, we... Uh, Lord Jesus Christ and Spirit of the living God, uh, we come before you this morning um, humbly. Uh, Please give us humble hearts to hear your word. Uh, We come as forgiven sinners, many of us. Uh, uh, We come together um, begging uh, for you to do what only you can do, which is to lead us more uh, into the fullness of the truth and the grace and the glory of your Son, we pray this because this is why you sent him, for us, uh, but also that you might help us uh, to live lives well uh, while we wait for his return, um, as we seek to see this beautiful good news about your son go out to the nations. We pray this in his name. Amen. I wanted to begin talking a bit about leadership and servant leaders, and you might like think about those sort of leaders that you have or had in your life, uh, the better ones are not so good ones um, and, and at the end of the day what, what is it that we want leaders to do for us? We've got millions of people uh, seeking safe refuge, seeking safe passage out of a war zone in Ukraine at the moment, I mean uh, the, the pictures are, uh, are horrific. Um, Many have made it to borders, they've had to hand their kids over and go back to fight or just go back. Will they ever see them again? We've We've got superpowers posturing again, like what was going on about a century ago. And of course closer to home, just in our own backyard. We've had some of the worst flooding we've seen. Pictures of people stuck on roofs, again just seeking safe passage out. Um, bushfires as well uh, and their destruction again people uh, urgently seeking safe passage trying to rebuild their lives again the numbers keep climbing sadly of kids and young people on our streets where their parents or parents or society have defaulted in being that safe passage leader for them to, to lead them through to adult life and we've still got leaders bumbling their way around, politically, around the world, still searching for that exit door out of this, this COVID pandemic as well, haven't we? See, so, so at the end of the day, isn't that we want our fellow human being, our, our leader to be doing is, is, is to safely and to be serving us, to leading us to that better place, to the safe passage from here to here. And, and sometimes we, we need them to do it rather urgently other times, it's more of a slow burn. A recent Salvation Army study suggested that um, the mental distress we're all feeling coming out of this pandemic is way up. We just, you know, we just got used to it. Um, our younger people are trying to cope, but many are not. They're really just surviving or hanging on. And then, you, of course, the thing about uh, living through a, a pandemic like we're doing is it, we can forget that there are all those other diseases you know, in the, in the medical books. They're still there, aren't they? As my younger sister who's in hospital in the fight of her life at the moment would tell you, cancer has not taken a COVID holiday. <laughs> John the Eyewitness, who's a Chief Jesus follower. So John, the John who wrote the Gospel, there's three Johns this morning, as Cam's already mentioned. We'll call John the Eyewitness Jesus follower, who wrote his gospel. So he's John the Writer. He writes to let us know that as a human being, we are not alone in this world. Humanity is not abandoned or forsaken, even though it can feel like we are living in a God-forsaken place sometimes. John the writer, he opens his gospel testifying beautifully, like that overture last week, that the word in whom every particle, every proton, every planet, every person Only has their existence, their being, because of this word. In and through and by this word, we have our existence and have our being. But more than that, the whole point and purpose of being given our existence is for this word who has become flesh, Jesus of Nazareth. And so John writes, so that we might be convinced by the weight of historical eyewitness testimony, that God himself has entered into our world in the person of his own son, Jesus Christ. And he's done it to secure any human being anywhere on the planet safe passage. Safe passage out of what destroys our humanity and most threatens our future as a human being. Which is finding ourselves standing before Jesus as the judge And being told we're not welcome. Away from it. As that reading was read, did did you pick up the the courtroom language? just, Just remind you there, just the first two sentences. Now this was John's testimony. Verse 20. John did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. There's all this seeing and hearing and testimony and confessing. And um, it, um, has anyone ever actually been caught up to jury duty or ha- had to step into the witness box, maybe as a, as a as a expert witness, or maybe you were there for another reason? But um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nervous laughter over here. All right, you turned 50 today, didn't you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> I still remember the day that um, I was led into the witness box, walked into you know, Adelaide Magistrates' courtroom. It was a full-on trial, full-on trial. There were like too many lawyers to count. Um, and I was there as a medical expert witness because about 18 months earlier, working in a and in Flinders Hospital, um, I had exa- I examined the, uh, the defendant, the person, um, and at the time he'd claimed and given a statement to police that he was the victim of a gang mugging. Well, I had found the gang mag- members who'd mugged him, supposedly, and now there was this trial happening. And um, here I was, Dr. John, in the witness box, to be cross-examined, not by one, but by four lawyers, four. Um, and, you know, yeah, and, and they were pretty full-on. You know, they were trying to get to the truth. And, you know, there was a jury there weighing up my testimony and the testimony of others. This is sort of what's going on in John's Gospel. Of all the Gospels, it has the, all this, this legal law court sort of language. It's sort of like John the writer. He's invited us into the jury to be part of the jury of his Gospel courtroom. Um, and Jesus is on trial. The trial goes for about three years. And he, he begins by calling up key eyewitnesses, people who were there with Jesus, saw him, heard him, to testify about Jesus, also that we, the reader, can weigh up the evidence for Jesus. Now, John chapter one verses nineteen to fifty-one covers the first four days of John the writer's courtroom drama, and it is a drama. The four, these first four days, I've got them under two headings. I have seen. Look, we have found. Come, I have seen. Look is with John the Baptist in the witness box. We could even call him John the witness. Um, we have found, come, are those first followers. Um, and so let's, let's just get into it, and uh, we'll start with John the Baptist in the witness box. I have seen, look. Look with me again, um, verse 19 and 20. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confess freely, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not the Christ, I'm not God's promised saviour leader. Despite John the Witness's ministry taking place in the desert though, it doesn't stop him doing a Justin Bieber, or whoever your favourite, you know, crowd-pulling person is. I mean, people are flocking out to him in the desert, aren't they? And now that's You've got the attention of the Jewish political and religious leaders at that nerve centre in, in, in Jerusalem who are trying to keep the peace there. you got the Romans in charge. And, and so they send these priests and Levites out to grill John the Baptist. And they do, they grill him. Who are you if you're not the Christ? Are you Elijah? You know, now Elijah was that great promise that God sent, turned the hearts of people back to him in a really dark, dark period of Israel's history. Are you the prophet? Uh, Deuteronomy 18, uh, God promised Moses that another Moses-like, a, a better-than-Moses-like prophet would come, another Exodus-like leader who would speak God's word. Uh, are you these guys? You see, Jewish people have been in the waiting room for hundreds of years for God to send his promised Saviour leader uh, You know, to, to kick these Romans out and to reestablish the nation-state of Israel and all this. You know, could this John the Baptist be be God doing something in the desert. Or well, sentence 20, John did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I am not the Christ or Elijah or Moses. Well, who are you then, verse 23? Well, I am the voice. No, I'm not John Farnham. I am a different voice. I'm a voice of one calling in the desert. In the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Now, I've put all these references down here so you can look them up yourself later. This is from Isaiah chapter 40. 800 years before Jesus, God spoke through his prophet Isaiah to an Israel who had strayed badly from God and seriously vandalised God's name among the nations. In fact, they were behaving worse than the nations. Um, This resulted in God giving them a red card putting them in the sin bin you are out you're out of the game you're out of the land you're exiled this verse that John quotes from Isaiah 40 begins 26 beautiful chapters of God comforting his people and the nations and, 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 and just like the nations Israel you know they, they, they are a sin bin people Um, They are out of step, out of favor with God, like all the nations. And and they're groaning under the mess and the weight of sin in their lives and under under God's judgment on them from the nations. But God's promised a time of rescue when God himself would come as a king. He would come in the line of King David. Except he wouldn't come as a military king, but he would come as a suffering servant king. He would come to give his life as a ransom, to, to atone for humanity's sin, to provide the safe passage that only forgiveness can provide when a relationship is broken, to provide safe passage that only forgiveness can provide for a fresh start, for reconciliation, for relationship. The testimony of John the witness, I mean, it's stunning claiming that I am this voice to make straight a highway for our God. He's saying, get ready, roll out the red carpet, repent, toss out your idols, turn back to God and be urgent about it. Your God is coming. In fact, he's already come. According to him, John the Baptist, verse 26, I baptize with water, John replied, but among you already stands one you do not know. He who sandals I'm not worthy to untie, verse 29. He who comes after me, yet who was before me, verse 20. He who surpasses me is greater than me in every way, verse 30. But, well, if you're not any of these guys, John, why are you baptising? What are you doing out here with this water and dunking people? And what's this all about, verse 31? Well, the reason I came baptising with water was that he, this greater one, might be revealed. And so his whole ministry, his baptism ministry, it's it's to reveal the identity of who who this greater one is. Well, day one ends. And religious leaders, they leave, um, still not having a clue, not yet knowing who this greater one is, that John the Witness or John the Baptist is testifying to. Now, now, John, I mean, he's a, he's a great writer because he's been... We, we still haven't met who Jesus is, have we? We've been told a lot about him, got all this information, background. So are you ready to meet him? Are you ready to meet Jesus, who he is? And so day two begins in, in this gospel courtroom trial drama. And well, he's back in the witness box, John the Baptist. And like the climax of any good courtroom drama that you love watching on Netflix or whatever, courtroom goes silent. The camera zooms in on the person. This is the moment. And the guy, the guy in the witness box raises their arm you know, at the accused. It's them. It's them. It's exactly what John does to, to his followers, isn't it? There is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, look. And, and, and it's a command. Look, behold, that's him. The Lamb of God, the Lamb of God. There is no other, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I don't know what memories of cuddly lambs you had growing up. Maybe you've got a few cuddly lambs at home, I don't know. But John the Witness, he's likely referring here to the Jewish Passover lamb of Exodus chapter 12. You can read about that. But also, most likely, the slaughtered lamb to describe the ministry of the servant, from Isaiah 53. Now Exodus chapter 12 is when God saved his people out of Egypt, it was 1,500 years before Jesus. You may remember that God instructed each family member there uh, to, to slaughter um, a spotless lamb and, and to take that blood and, and to put it on, on the door frame outside their house. You know, And, uh, and that, that night, as the angel of death passed over all Egypt, um, and every firstborn animal and child died, except in the household that had the blood on the doorway that had slaughtered the lamb. And even way back then, God was preparing the way. He was preparing his people, preparing humanity, showing us, giving us the pattern of how God would deal with what truly enslaves us. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not a nation state. It's sin, it's the darkness of sin, the power of sin and the power of evil in this world and in our our lives. And that's what enslaves us, that's what all this was pointing to. The servant of the Lord in Isaiah 53 is described as dying in our place to atone for our sin like a lamb. So that we might be healed from the power of sin in our lives. that, That our death might be defeated for us that the power of the devil and evil might be dealt with in our lives once and for all, disarmed. And it all happens, of course, at the cross of Jesus, doesn't it? But can you see the connection? In pointing Jesus out as the Passover lamb, John the witness is pointing out the one whose blood that you and I need on our door frames. Now, I'm not talking about the door frames of our home, I'm talking about the doorframe of our life, of our heart. Because only this blood can cover the cost, pay the wage of our sin and bring forgiveness. This is why John the Baptist is baptising with water, that the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world might be revealed to Israel then and to all the nations subsequently. Because he's the Baptist with the greater baptism. Uh, He's he's got the baptism we need, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, the spirit of the new covenant sent to wash away our sins, cleanse our guilty consciences, to lead us into the truth of God that we can know God as God and be saved and given safe passage to life with God. Well, sadly, as we know, you would have picked this up last week, that Israel then did not receive or recognise Jesus at all. They completely missed him for who he was. They missed God's forgiveness, missed God's healing, missed God's comfort on offer in Jesus. Well, that's the end of day two. John the Baptist has finished testifying. Not before he points out Jesus one more time. How did John the Baptist identify Jesus? Verses 32 to 34. Well, then we're told he gives this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him, except that the one who sent me to baptise with water told me that the man on whom, you see the Spirit come down and remain, he's the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. He's the one who will inaugurate the new covenant of grace, the new covenant of forgiveness, I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. You see, there it is again, this courtroom, this legal language. I have seen, I testify. Now, the Old Testament describes God's spirit coming down on King Saul and King David in the first book of Samuel. Um, in Isaiah 42.1, God said that his servant king, the Messiah, will be. you'll know who he is because heaven will identify him when the spirit of God comes down and rests on him. John the witness's testimony for people then and, and here now is that this Jesus, he is the servant king. He's the son of God sent to die for sin to provide safe passage for us. And on view, on view here, of course, is, is God's deep, deep desire and determination to make himself known to a rebel humanity so that we might be rescued from what most threatens our future and destroys our life and our relationships. Rescued into into a right relationship with God. Well, after two days, as I said, um, John John the the Baptist, he steps out of the witness box testifying, I have seen, look, okay, I've seen, look, behold, there he is. And so we come to the second section, days three and four, um, and... It's those early followers, isn't it? We have found, come. We have found, come and see. And so day three begins with John the Baptist's disciples leaving the lesser to follow the greater. Did you pick that up? Verses 35 to 39. The next day John was there again. He's got two of his disciples with him. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God, just in case you missed it the first time, When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? Well, they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. Come, Jesus replied, and you will see. It's it's a beautiful, timeless invitation from the God who made you and I to come. From Jesus to come to leave who, whatever you need to, in order to come to Jesus. To come and consider Christ, to enjoy life with Jesus, to to experience forever being accepted by Jesus. Living now with that sure hope that when you die, you will go to be with Jesus. Andrew was one of the two who left John the Baptist to follow Jesus the greater. He went and found his brother Simon Peter, we're told. We found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. You know that um, all the research done on Billy Graham and all the great, you know, his worldwide missions and stuff? The key, the key was it. Months and months and months before he ever arrived and came and preached the gospel, all the logistics was put in place to make sure that people would be brought and taken home. He brings Simon to Jesus. Having testified and pointed out Jesus twice to his disciples, John the Baptist is fulfilling his mission, which is that people should come. They should come and consider Jesus not him, but consider Jesus, that he's the greater. And so day four begins with Jesus starting out for Galilee, verses 30, uh, 43, 44. Finding Philip, Jesus said to him, follow me. Again, it's a command. An ex- it's follow me. And the fact that he did, it's just like we can't even begin, I think, to appreciate how overwhelmingly awesome and impressive Jesus was to just be so compelled to drop everything, to follow him. Anyway, Philip goes and finds Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, just like he's found the cure for cancer, of course, Philip finds Nathanael to tell him about this Jesus. We found the one, we found the greater one. Come and see, come and see verse 46 just like Nathaniel had his doubts and questions about Jesus what huh? any good come from that what so people they're always going to have their doubts their questions their are sort of like you know satire and laughter but no no you've got to come you've got to come whatever their doubts or questions the invitation should always be from us no 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 look I hear what you're saying but just look you've got to come and consider Jesus life's too precious death's too real Seriously, if you do not consider Jesus, you've got to come and take a look for yourself. It's why John's written his gospel, of course, isn't it? We can't see, we weren't there, but through the testimony of those who were, the reliable testimony, we can come and hear that testimony and then see Jesus. That's how we come and see Jesus today. Well, like a trial and a taste of a pre-wedding banquet to sort of get us excited about the banquet, the wedding banquet that is to come. So, chapter one it ends with Jesus promising his disciples, "Very truly I tell you, you'll see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man." Verse fifty-one. Now, interestingly, the "you" here is plural. Uh, Use all. Jesus is promising his disciples then, and those who read John's gospel now, that if, if we're willing to keep reading through John's gospel. And if it's been a while, you know, have a read. If it's never, you definitely need to have a read. But as we keep reading through John's gospel, the promise is we will see even greater things about Jesus. It'll blow our mind. Jesus' reference to heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending here, it's from chapter eight of the first book of the Bible, Genesis. It's when God promised Abram's grandson, Jacob, that it was in a dream Uh, That he says, look, you know all those promises I made to your granddaddy, Abram? You know, that I'm going to bless you, make you into a great nation through your offspring. You're going to be a blessing to all the nations. They're still alive and active, mate. They're still as good today as they were when I made them hundreds of years earlier. Um, Yeah. Now, for Jacob, it was just a dream, wasn't it? Jesus is saying to his disciples that the reality has arrived. You know the the God, the guy at the top of that stairway. I'm him. I'm the guy. I'm the reality. I am the offspring of Abraham, through whom any and every human being can find blessing and life in me, if they'll just come to me. I am the true, faithful Israelite, through whom the nations are blessed. I'm the Israelite. I'm the faithful Israelite, the one through whom blessing comes to the nations. Because I am the son of man. I'm that guy promised 600 years earlier in a vision given to Daniel, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I'm that son of man. The one who's going to come into the presence of God himself. I'm going to receive all authority, all power over heaven and earth, over every nation, every human being. I'm that guy. I'm the end time judge of history. I'm the one who's got all the authority to save or to judge. I'm this son of man. Now here's the thing: Jacob wakes up from his dream and says, Whoa, this is the gateway to heaven. But Jesus is saying, I'm the stairway for humans from earth to heaven. I am the gate. John 10. Jesus is like the ultimate firefighter. uh, Running into the burning house or you know the multi-story building. You know, he's running down the flight of stairs, though, into our world, putting us on our shoulder out of the fire, and running us up the staircase to safety. All we need, though, to do is to ask Jesus to save us. He's come to carry us home to life and safety with him. You know, how, how foolish. Oh, There's a fire burning around. I said, oh, no thanks, I'll, I can do it myself. I'll find my own one out, you know, somehow. And uh, no, no, there's only one way. You will perish unless you let you jump on Jesus' shoulder and say, please will you take me home to heaven? When, Jesus, uh, when Jacob woke up, he said, surely this is the house of God. The next two chapters, Jesus will reveal, I am the house of God. I am the, I'm where you come to meet God. Jacob's response to his dream was, how awesome is this place? Whoa. John the writer is saying, that the right response to Jesus is, how awesome is this person? Well, as we turn for the home straight, if you've come here today to check out Jesus' church, if, if this is new, fresh, or if it's, if it's been a while, welcome, it's great to have you along. But again, I want to say, your life is too precious, your death is too real to not come and consider Jesus, to keep reading through John's gospel. Is it time for you to come and see now as I said, we can't come and see Jesus like people back then, but we can hear this reliable testimony and through the testimony from those who were there, we can see Jesus. And it's why as followers, we have to keep reading the whole Bible, always be reading a gospel, but so we can see Jesus Clearly. As the disciple's story unfolds in John's Gospel, it becomes clear that there's much they do not understand or know about Jesus. And, and maybe that's you this morning. We're never going to fully understand or know, but Jesus just calls us to follow him based on what you and I do know. And so whatever you've heard, it's come. Come. But as I said um, during a bit earlier this morning, is it time for some of us maybe to get more practically involved in the mission here, roll up the sleeves and to sort of actually step into the ring more, more fully, more full on, where, where we we're actually sharing Jesus. We're, we we're about the business of either sharing it ourselves or supporting and helping others to do that. Hopefully, a bit earlier, I gave us a bit of a glimpse into what BCA does, what BCA does. And what we've just done from this passage is hopefully let us know why BCA does what it does, why it matters. We pray, we partner to send more messengers. I mean, how can seven million people who live outside of our capital cities, seven million people, how can these men, women and children, how can they ever hear about Jesus unless messengers go? And you don't even need to know a little bit more. I mean, you saw that video of the kids. (coughs) Up singing about Jesus who came to serve and save them from sin. And that was taught to them by youth, by year eights and nines and year tens. We've all got a part to play. Uh, during the Bible and Bush nights, Greg Harris shared during his travels recently up in Winton, which is two hours northwest of Longreach in central West Queensland. He was driving along and he stopped at the Anglican church there. He saw this lady going in and out of the church and he stopped and said, Oh, you know, introduced himself. It was Stephanie. And she said, Oh, what are you doing? Well, I'm, you know, I'm here just, you know, cleaning the church and, you know, I've been a part of this church. And he says, oh, you know, and, and he asked him, Look, how are you going? How are you going in your faith? And she shared, oh, well, actually, I'm not going that great, really. Oh, wh- 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 what's the problem? He says, well, because there's no one here to teach me. And if I hop in a car for two hours and drive to Longridge, there's actually no one there as well. Again, they're both BCA locations. They're vacant. This is why it matters why BCA matters? Why it matters that we we just always all on mission here. We just need to see the gospel go further. And again, as I said before, thanks heaps just for for stepping up, supporting Naomi. She, she loves being in partnership with you guys. And again, thanks heaps for for the way you're stepping up um, and, and looking at helping. You know this this little church up in Alice Springs run their first ever family camp. You know in September October. Uh, it, it's just, it's just amazing. But could Trinity Orgate maybe team up with Victor and you know, Mount Barker, get a bunch of youth, young adults together, you know, we'll, we'll pay for two or three buses and and send you off for a week or two on mission for Jesus to have a go, to have a gospel adventure. Actually, could it be time though for some of you to go yourself for a season? Indy Piggin. She's in her final year of teaching, training. She's just finished a four-week placement up in Roxby Downs. It's her last one. During the mission, she was so cut to the heart about the desperate needs of just more Christians up there to help, to make a difference. She rings up her supervisor and says, please, please, can I do my last placement at Roxby? When she was there, there's 40 teachers in the town. They were advertising for 20. 20 vacancies. She's looking at going up there when she graduates uh, to to be a teacher in the school. And a big reason she's going is because for three years, Greg and Beth have been praying that God might send someone to help start a Friday night youth group, to help run and coordinate and grow the kids' ministry. Could this be God answering their prayer? Like, wow. Wow. Going on an adventure into a regional area, country, tent that's a great thing to do as a young person if you're graduating or graduated. But let me say, if you're like Gita and I, our kids are growing up, you're empty nesters or are you, you're, you're hitting that age and stage of life, why not consider going on a gospel adventure for a season? Ruth and Lee... They're they're nobody special. Ruth's up there. He's taken up leading strategic development of the whole territory in the Anglican Diocese in Aboriginal communities. Ruth's up there um, as the the Anglican Dean at New Bible College, coordinating Aboriginal communities along the Roper to come in so they can actually do their biblical literacy and, 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 and learn about Jesus. They just had secular jobs. They retired. She went and trained for the ministry, got ordained as an Anglican minister so she could take up a gig like this. And so for about five years before they retired, they prayed and God laid on their heart and they planned when they retired, that's what they've done. They've gone up there to to make a difference for Jesus. What about for you? God promises he's using all the seasons in our life always to prepare us for whatever's around the corner. Often you can't see what's around the corner. If you want to know what's around the corner, pray, but come and talk to me and I'll tell you what's around your corner. Friends, the invitation is just to keep coming, come, come. Keep coming to Jesus and see from the scriptures. But to go, to go and tell. It's the only reason the father in his long-suffering love is holding off the day of his son's return. Because the nations need to hear. Let me pray. Merciful Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful, rich uh, part of scripture. Helps us to see a little bit more of the wonder, the beauty, the glory, the truth, the grace, the magnificence of your son. Thank you that you've revealed him to many of us here, that we do uh, see, we do believe. Please help help, help each of us to keep seeing more clearly. That you would uh, so grow us and mature us, uh, that you would just set our hearts on fire continually. To be about the business of serving you, serving your people, of making this beautiful, amazing message known to the people who are yet to hear. Thanks for this time of encouragement this morning. And please will you send us out powerfully in your spirit to make that little bit of difference that we all can make with the people that you've put in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.